Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. We are going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the promise of belonging. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Verse 14, Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it's not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. Can you say just as he wanted? And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. In our unrespectable parts, we are treated with greater respect which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The Word of God. I was reminded by a friend the other day, actually yesterday, one of my friends who's also a pastor, that though it, it certainly feels like um, the devil might be winning uh, with the struggles we're facing as the church in the United States and around the world, uh, he's not. He's not. He's on the run. And my friend said any punches that he throws are the punches of someone who is retreating. And so Jesus has won on the cross. He has defeated sin and death and the devil. And the devil is on the retreat. And one day he will be banished forever. And that's good news. Because it certainly doesn't feel like that at this moment. But what that means is that you belong to the movement of God on this earth. That Jesus came to establish his kingdom on earth. And you are part of that kingdom. You belong to that kingdom. You belong to the movement of Jesus the Messiah that is pushing back sin and darkness and death and the devil. And you didn't do anything to become part of that. All you did was repented and believed and rest in what Jesus had done. But being part of that movement means that you are part of a people that you didn't necessarily choose to be a part of. Uh, you're part of the people of God. You're part of the followers of Jesus you belong to that people, and what that means is you belong to each other. You belong as fellow citizens of the kingdom. You belong as the body of Christ together. You belong to each other. But 
it often doesn't feel like we belong to each other, nonetheless belong together. Uh, we come from different backgrounds, we have different viewpoints, we have different life perspectives, and our felt experience of belonging is often different than what God says. God says, you belong to the body, but our felt experience often doesn't line up with that. We feel like we don't belong or we don't belong to each other. And there's a couple reasons why. The first one is the prevailing uh, lens that everyone in our culture has, and it's so prevailing that we don't even know it's there. And it's this, I don't belong to you, I belong to me. I belong to myself. It's the lens of individualism. It's, it's, it's avoiding being interdependent on each other and saying, I am independent of you. I am my own God. I am in charge of myself. My greatest value is my freedom and my personal choice. We are the most individualistic society that has ever existed in the history of the world. Most, most societies have been much more collective, much more connected, had much more a sense of belonging. And everyone in our society believes naturally that their highest calling is to find out who they are apart from anybody else. It's to find out who they are separated from the group, not in the group, not part of the group. And so when we have that filter on, it is obviously going the very opposite direction of belonging. Because God says, you're part of this. And we say, well, I need to figure out who I am apart from this. So we have to fight against that sense of I belong to me. But there's also a very real natural sense where we don't experience that deep sense of belonging because in our heart, we just feel that we belong somewhere else. And what I mean by that is most naturally, we might just say, I'm most at home when I'm part of a certain group. I'm most at home when I'm around people who are like me, people who look like me, people who think like me, people who vote like me, people who have the same cultural background as me. Uh, that's just natural, right? We all feel that. We can go to certain places in our city and certain groups of people and be like, oh, I feel at home here. Like my heart just is at rest. And so not only are we wrestling against this sense of I belong to me, but we also feel in the midst of the diverse body of Christ, we just kind of feel, I belong somewhere else. I'm most at home somewhere else. And here's what God says. We belong to the body of Christ together. We belong to the body of Christ together. Verse 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. I love that he uses the word Christ, Paul does when he writes there, because what, what that's a reference to is the Messiah, the movement of God's salvation through the anointed one. That's what we're part of. We're part of this worldwide movement together. Uh, us, messed up, sinful, broken people who don't really deserve to be part of this at all. We're part of it. We're part of the movement of Jesus. And the common thing that we have is not our backgrounds. It's not the way we think. It's, it, it's not how we talk. It's not our culture. 
it's that we have been baptized into Christ together. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We share that together. In the leadership journal, they wrote about baptism and saying, in baptism we are initiated, crowned, chosen, embraced, washed, adopted, gifted, reborn, killed, and therefore sent forth and redeemed. We are identified as one of God's own, then assigned our place and our job within the kingdom of God. And what that means is if we belong through Jesus and being baptized into him, but we're all different, we are always going to be wrestling about our own identity and our sense of belonging within the bigger group. It's a setup for wrestling with who we are and are we really part of this. But yet God says through Jesus Christ, you belong. You belong. You have been made a part of the body of Christ. Heather King was a writer for NPR. She also um, was an alcoholic and had to go through the recovery movement. And as she went through the recovery movement, she also got involved with church and came to Christ. And she wrestled becoming part of the recovery movement and part of the church because if she was honest, she didn't want to be part of either group. She didn't feel like she belonged. But as she walked through it, she realized that some of the issues with belonging was not seeing herself clearly in Christ and not seeing other, others clearly through the lens of Christ. She said this about her involvement with recovery in church. My first impulse was to think, I don't want to get sober, or in the case of the church, I don't want to worship with these nutcases or boring people or people with different politics or taste in music or food or books or whatever. Then she said, nothing shadows our egos, shatters our egos like worshiping with people we did not handpick. The humiliation of discovering that we are thrown, with ex thrown in with extremely unpromising people. People who are broken, misguided, wishy-washy, out for themselves. And then she said this, people who are us people who are us. But we don't come to church to be with people who are like us in the way that we want them to be. We come because we have staked our souls on the fact that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And the church is the best place, the only place to be while we all struggle to figure out what that means. She ended with this. We come because we'd be hard-pressed to say which is the bigger of the two scandals of God, that he loves us or that he loves everyone else. See, she's rightly recognizing, I don't deserve to belong here, but no one else does either. No one else deserves to belong here, but I don't either. But because of what Jesus has done, all of a sudden we belong to each other. And as I look at myself and as I look at you, I see that both of us belonging together is a scandal, the scandal of grace that God would save us. And then, therefore, we are filled with the Holy Spirit to drink of one spirit together. We belong to the body of Christ together. But we also belong diversely. The city of Corinth that this letter was written to was a port city, in, uh, in Greece, and it was much like South Florida. 
I mean, it was like anything goes. People often say, we want to be like the New Testament church, and the answer to that is be careful which church, because the Corinthian church was full of scandal after scandal. One of those scandals was related to the fact that they were incredibly divided. Corinth was a super diverse place, just like South Florida. Uh, But the church brought the divisions of the world into the church. And so they had divisions over who was your favorite preacher. They had divisions over wealth versus not having wealth. They had divisions over which spiritual gift was the best. If you gave it to the Corinthian church, they would find a reason to divide over it. Their diversity led to divisions. And so Paul presents them with this imagery of the body of Christ. And when we first hear that, we need to understand how they first heard it. They would have first heard that imagery of the body of Christ as referring to the body politic. In other words, the political system where Caesar was at the top and the lowly of the low were at the bottom. And so that idea of the body politic was what would have first come to their mind. And in that system of politics, it was incredibly hierarchical. It was all about status. And those who were on the bottom served those above them, who served those above them, who served those above them, who went all the way up to Caesar. And so as they came into the church with this mindset, what they, what they did is they, see, is they saw even in their spiritual gifts and their differences a status symbol that I can rank myself better than you or I have to rank myself worse than you. So what Paul says is, indeed, the body is not one part but many. If the foot, which is lower, should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I don't belong to the body, it's not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. There's a force to this part of the text. Paul isn't talking about if we feel that we belong based on our status. He's basically saying it doesn't matter how you feel, you belong to the body of Christ because God has arranged you in the body through the work of Jesus. So even if you feel that you're not part of the body, you belong because of what Jesus Christ has done and because God has placed you in the body. Yet, there can be better expressions of belonging and worse expressions of belonging. The Corinthian church was a bad expression of belonging. One chapter before this one, Paul has scolded them for what's happening at the Lord's Supper. At the Lord's Supper, the wealthy people are eating first the the body of Christ and the bread, but then drinking so much of the wine that they're getting drunk and excluding the poor. So it's not just something that God has done, it's something that he wants to bring to expression in real life in the church. And Paul calls them out saying, you belong together to Christ and you're not doing it. You're not living out of that belonging. 
And so for us, as God's blended family, we have to always do two things. We have to be reminded, first of all, that we do belong to each other because of what Christ has done, and God has arranged the body. And at the same time, we ask, how can we bring that to greater expression in our church? How can we bring that to greater expression in our church? We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. Ellie and myself and the leadership team have begun praying. We've begun praying uh, that God would raise up a black vocalist that could sing up here and bring expression to the black church tradition in our worship in a new way. We've committed to pray for that. We want to see God do it because we want there to be a sense of belonging in even a deeper way in the music. Now, Ellie, uh, I, love, I love Ellie because um, when we first started this, I said, Ellie, uh, you need to learn 10 gospel songs from the black church. And Ellie looked at me and said, no, that's not my style. I don't feel comfortable doing that. And I said, look, we need to make steps towards this so that people who come from that tradition feel that they belong. And Ellie boldly went forward learning those things. Now, what I love about that is Ellie recognizes uh, she has a long way to go in that particular style. That's not the particular style that she feels most comfortable in. And so she herself has said, I need other people to lead in that area of worship. And so Ellie, myself, and the leadership have begun praying, Lord Jesus, raise up a black vocalist who can lead us in the black church tradition so that more people will feel like they belong to the worship music. But here's a challenge for you in that. What if that person is your next door neighbor who doesn't know Jesus yet? What if that person is your next door neighbor who doesn't know Jesus yet? What what if you sharing the gospel with them will bring them to Christ and eventually lead them up here on stage with the microphone? These are, this is one way we want to be practically committed to belonging. But secondly, back in January, we talked about um, hiring a non-white pastoral intern for the church. And then COVID happened. And I, it's kind of hard to like go on a pastoral search when you're like, there's not really any people you can meet with to pastor. Uh, but we're still committed to that. That isn't something that's dropped off the radar. It's not something that's dropped out of the budget. Uh, but I would invite you into praying for that that God would raise up a pastoral intern who comes from a culture that is not Caucasian to help lead in that area. Some of you were at our first year anniversary service in 2016 where we flew Tony Miles in from New City, St. Louis, and he preached for us, brought the house down. Everyone loved Tony. Uh, New City and St. Louis prayed for Tony Miles, who's an African-American man from St. Louis. They prayed for him for four years. In other words, They did not have a minority pastor in the position. And they wanted one, so they put it in the budget, and they prayed for that position for four years before Tony came. And now Tony's the lead pastor of that church. So while we want to bring bring greater expressions of different cultures so that more people feel like they belong, I would say step into this with us. Step into this with us. Pray. Share the gospel with people. That is how we will grow and how we will experience a deeper sense of belonging 
as a church. But then I would also caution you against the sin of partiality. The sin of partiality says, I prefer you over you because you're like me and you're not. In the body of Christ, though, it says, I love you both because we're in Christ together. And all of us have these natural inclinations. We just feel more comfortable around different people. We feel more comfortable around people who are like me. But when we show preference to people who are like you or like me, it is called the sin of partiality. And we must be very careful. We must be willing to, to examine that in our own hearts because to be quite honest, churches are built on the sin of partiality. When I was in seminary, there was a principle called the homogeneous unity principle for church planning. And what that principle is, is find people who are like you in your life stage. They're your same skin color. They think like you. And plant a church with those people. That's the sin of partiality. That's saying that if I can find people like me, we'll start a church. But the church is called to be a blended family of diverse people that gives expression to various cultures belonging together. And this isn't just something nice that we say. We belong diversely because we belong interdependently. Not independently, but interdependently, meaning that we are connected to one another. Whether we know it or not, we desperately need each other. We desperately need each other. In the Corinthian church, they... Um, elitism had run amok. They were carrying this idea of the political hierarchy into the church. And that can be present in the American church. It can be present in our church. And so can individualism. And both of those things say, because of who I am, I don't need you. I'm better off without you. I don't need you. I, I, I'm, I'm fine doing this by myself. If we had dealt with this issue and this mindset 250 years ago, we would not have a black church at white church. We would not have a black church at a white church. We'd have one church. But during Chattel slavery, there was obviously a huge injustice and a separation. And then when black people were allowed in the church, they were allowed in the back of the church, but nowhere else. And those divisions have, have been perpetuated over the last 250 years because the body of Christ has not seen itself as interdependent. It's not something where we go, it would be nice if we pretended we need each other. We need each other. We need each other. We desperately need need each other. And can you imagine what would have happened in those churches 250 years ago if instead of men saying, I own you, they would have said, I belong to you. And you belong to me. In Christ, I belong to you. And you belong to me. See, we often look at these principles in the Bible and we go, oh, but they just, they're not relevant enough. <laughs> this truth of belonging doesn't work. No, it's not that it doesn't work. It's that we have ignored it. We have ignored it. We haven't put it to use in some of the, the darker places in our history, in some of the, the failures of our past. We belong to each other interdependently. 
Here's an example. Much of the theological work that has been done, uh, that has influenced me, has been done with a Eurocentric viewpoint. And much of it has come from the last 500 years. And that theological work by guys like John Calvin and Martin Luther, it is amazing. The, the ways that it has expanded my mind and grown me in Christ has, been, uh, has caused so much spiritual growth and knowledge in my own life. And yet in light of all that, there is kind of a glaring hole in Eurocentric theology. And it's this. Eurocentric theology is not very good at suffering, explaining suffering. It's not very good at explaining hardship. Uh, it's weakness on being weak. And it hasn't really unpacked how to live in the midst of oppression. Now, there's been little bits here and there, but when I was at seminary, there was a guy who was like a leading student who was writing all sorts of things, and he got to the topic of weakness, and he's like, well, I've never really explored this. I've never really explored what it looks like to be weak and not have human resources and not have human power and be under oppression. I've never explored that theology, theologically. And so what's happened in our churches that are predominantly from white culture, white theology backgrounds, is we're constantly asking this question. How could a good God let bad things happen? Because we don't have a good theology of suffering. We don't have a good theology of human weakness. We don't have a good theology of uh, what it means to live under oppression. And so people are leaving the church because we've never actually answered this question well. How can a good God let bad things happen? but I would argue that the main contribution theologically of the black church is this. How could you get through all the bad things that happened without a good God? That has been the thing from the black church that has shaped me the most is their commitment to persevere through the midst of hardship, through the midst of injustice, in the midst of human weakness, in the midst of oppression. It's not a question for them that they have to answer theologically. It is what they are living out. Because we don't see ourselves as interdependently Eurocentric theology is missing the answer to that question that the black church has lived in for the last 300 years. Not just the black church, the majority world church. Churches around the globe. That's why churches around the globe are crying out, Jesus, please come back and return. And why many in the American church says, Jesus, wait a little bit longer so I can live more of my life. That's why the majority world church says, Jesus, come back and judge with righteousness. And the Eurocentric church says, judgment sounds mean. Don't you see that we need each other? We desperately need each other. And I've been so blessed by reading the theological work from different people, Kwame Bediako from Ghana, different people from India, and even being mentored by theological minds who are not like me. They have made me wrestle and ask questions and, and see things in the scripture that were right there, but I skipped over because I have a certain lens on. See, saying we're interdependent, saying we need each other, it's not just something nice. It's reality. We are dysfunctional without each other. We belong diversely, we, but we belong interdependently. And we also belong sacrificially. Verse 24b, 
through 26 says, on the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. Those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor, and unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Basically, what Paul is saying is the way of the world is that honor goes up. Honor goes up to people who can pay you back. Honor goes up because when you show honor, they will give you something back. But in the body of Christ, honor goes down. Honor goes to those who cannot pay you back. Special care is not given to those who, um, who bring the most to the table, but who bring very little to the table. Because we all are connected. And that takes sacrifice on our part to belong sacrificially. He says here that the body should have the same concern for each other. And that word concern in the Greek, it's almost like an anxiety. We should have an anxiety for each other, even if we're different. Even if someone's the hand and another person's a foot. We're all connected. And we all feel the pain together. If the foot hurts, the soul feels it. If the hand hurts, the soul feels it. When one suffers, all suffer. Let me challenge you now. Right now in our culture, black Christians are hurting. They're struggling. And it doesn't always help when we say, let's sort through statistics, because many black Christians don't want to sort through statistics. They just want to scream in the midst of everything that's going on right now. Can you hurt when others hurt? Can you think about even what you're posting on social media and not going just, this is what I want to say, but how will this affect my brother and sister? I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of being cathartic and just writing what I want to write and not going, I'm just going to send it. But what does it look like for us to think about how our posting even affects other people in our church? That kind of sacrificial mindset will take humility and perseverance and risk and repentance and sacrifice. Continually realigning ourselves that we're not, we're not here for me. We're connected with Jesus as the head. Jesus as the head. See, you belong sacrificially, but as part of the body, you do belong individually. You are an individual, but you're part of the body. Um, when I was right out of college, I bought a one-month train pass on Amtrak. And, I mean, the, the cost compared to now is so cheap. And I was like, man, I'm going to go find myself. So I got one month on Amtrak to go wherever I went in the United States. And I went, I did a big loop up right through the heart of the country to the north and then all the way west to Washington and then down through California back to, to Denver and then back to Nashville. Um, and it was awesome. I saw so much of the country. I met so many interesting people. I slept on friends' couches and I slept in tents in national parks and I slept in dirty hostels in the middle of downtown. I, I, and I, I just, it was a great time. I have some amazing stories. I have some awesome pictures from that journey, from that adventure. And then when I got back, when I got back to Nashville, 22-year-old, I plugged into the local church. And after getting involved in the local church, I plugged into a small group. 
and I was put in a small group with people who were all like 10 to 15 years older than me. I was the youngest in the group. And most of them were married, and most of them had kids. I, I, I didn't fit in very well. From that group, we sent out a group to plant a church, and I got to be part of that community as well. Now, over that three-year period in Nashville, if you were to ask me, where did you find yourself? Was it on that train circling the United States, or was it in the body of Christ? I had a lot of fun on the train. I didn't learn much about myself. I learned about myself. I matured, and I grew as an individual living and serving and walking with other members of the body of Christ, many of them who were not like me. Many of them who were not like me. What shaped me the most was not pursuing my individualism, but coming as an individual into the body of Christ and connecting and serving. And the way that people invested in me, I still am thankful for. 22-year-old person who thought they knew a lot, didn't know much, said stupid stuff in group meetings and got forgiven, learned what I was good at, what I was bad at, watched people who were married struggle and fight, saw dad's parent, learn how to serve the church and love the church. I couldn't pay for that. Those lessons were invaluable for me. The point is this. You can find your greatest purpose, not pursuing everything that you want for yourself, but actually being who you are in the body of Christ, belonging individually together. Eugene Peterson uh, says this, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in and an embrace of community. And walk away with this. I am not myself, by myself. I am not myself, by myself. Jesus loves you. Jesus went to the cross for you. Jesus died for you. He shed his blood for you. Jesus defeated death and the devil by kicking open the tomb for you so that you could be part so that you could belong to a blended family of diverse people together. Pursue that belonging. Reach out and ask someone else, how can I make you feel like you belong even more? That's the sacrifice and love that Jesus showed us on the cross. How can we include others on a deeper level? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. And we thank you that we get to belong to this body because of you. Lord, we pray that you would take us deeper with each other, that you would take us uh, into the points of pain, into the places of need or repentance. Lord, and we do pray that you would raise up uh, a black vocalist who could lead on Sundays alongside Ellie and the rest of the team. We do pray, Lord Jesus, that you would raise up a non-white pastoral intern uh, who could, could lead and learn and we could pour into for a season, Lord Jesus. We ask all these things in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. 
We'll see you next week.